Hello, can you hear me? I can. <laughs> Ear snacks. No, this is Ear Snacks for Parents. With Andrew and Polly. Hey, hi. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Um, <clears throat> all right, well, do you want to introduce yourself? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Andrew. And I'm Polly, and you are not listening to Ear Snacks. No, this is Ear Snacks for Parents. This is a bloop, bloop. You can tell it's Ear Snacks for Parents because there's very little editing. No editing. This is Ear Snacks for Parents. It's a special episode where we are talking just with adults today. So if you found this and you are looking for something to listen to as a family or kids to listen to by yourself, we're going to give you just a second to find something else, something better. Find something better. Find something better. Okay, now we're going to stop being <laughs> so quite so delightful. <laughs> okay. You uh, you may know us from um, our podcast. From podcasts such as Ear Snacks. Yes, where we're sort of childlike ourselves um, because often we're acting as a proxy for your kids mm-hmm. who are listening. But we are also um, just two grown-up people. It's true, relatively. Uh, well, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we have two kids of our own. Yep, we have a son who's almost four and a daughter who is nine months. Yes. We'd been thinking about doing a bad guys episode of Ear Snacks for a long time now. Right. We start we started planning the second season of Ear Snacks Last back yeah. in the summer. Yeah. So yes. we had been planning this episode on bad guys yes. for quite some time. Um and and we've been working on it and we were supposed to air it last week on Valentine's, on Valentine's Day, Day in two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Uh we thought it would be just like sort of funny to air like a bad guys episode on a day about love. Anyway, yeah. um it's not funny anymore. No. Because there was a school shooting um, in Florida um, that seems like one story in a number of stories that are um, about tragic events that keep coming up maybe more and more frequently than at least we are prepared for. It seems like almost nonstop this entire past year. Um, And I don't know if that's because we're paying more attention um, or because we're feeling more feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, or because it really is happening more often. Anyway, we just couldn't release the episode. We just we couldn't release the episode without really explaining to you guys why we want to do it, or or thinking like super even a little bit harder. Yeah. about how the episode comes out. So we still plan to release it. We hope you'll trust us that um, we're gonna do it well. Yeah. Um. The the. But but the struggle that we're having, we we figured we might as well just like have it in an open way with <laughs> yeah. you, so you can kind of hear what we're thinking about. Yeah. So um, you know, you obviously don't have to listen to this if you don't want to know <laughs> <laughs> what's going on inside our brains. But um, but we're just going to be really open about it. We're going to get into it, right? Uh, we're going to be talking to Jane Lindholm, mm-hmm. who is one of the co-hosts of But Why, a podcast for curious kids out of Vermont Public Radio. That's right. We're going to be talking to her about how to talk to kids about violence in the news, and we're also going to be talking to her about kind of like adult feelings about the news. Um, in relation to kids play. And we wanted to have a brief conversation with each other and available to you before we actually sit down and talk with her. And after we talk to Jane, Andrew and I will be talking about a book that I have been trying to read. 
It's called Magic Capes, Amazing Powers, Mm -hmm. Transforming Superhero Play in the Classroom Mm -hmm. by Eric Hoffman. Mm. Um, And while it's focused on superheroes, it's really about heroes and villains um, and how to set up play that supports kids when they're naturally curious about this stuff. When we were planning our episodes about ear snacks for the second season, sometimes we say, like, what would Mr. Rogers do with this? You know, he'd probably talk to somebody (laughs) that's interested in this. He there would probably be some play that's tangential to it. There might be a little bit of fun. There might be a moment of more more seriousness. And so we try to do something like that. And if you listen to the show, you probably notice that. But um, with respect to this episode, Bad Guys, which we naturally thought would be really fun to do um, because it's kind of funny when kids are like, I'm bad. Ah. Oh, I'm so bad, right? Because they're like, (laughs) they're so cute, right? And they're not like actually like mean and it provides all these chances to have teachable learning moments together we thought we could go from the funny exciting parts of it to the actual thinking about what is a bad guy right why do they why do they be bad right why do they be bad but but in trying to do this okay like this is the first time that i think i felt really like out of my depth in trying to do an episode um, I don't know if you felt that way, Andrew. A little bit, yeah. I mean, we you know we talked a little about natural disasters in cracks. That was um, hard. I felt like when I tried, I could do it. We talked about how to and how not to use your hands in hands. Right. Well, and the problem with <laughs> these episodes that that we're working on that seem universal to preschool themes is that they're also connected to real adult hard things. Yeah. yeah. So you know when we're working on the episode about hands and we're talking about how to keep your body safe and how no one should touch you if you don't give them permission, like we're talking about the Me Too movement or when we're talking about things that break and crack, we're talking about earthquakes and natural disasters, which really happen in the world, you know. But but as we've encountered each one of them, I've, with no background in developmental psychology, neither of us went to school for this. Correct. Neither of us has a degree um, in working with young children. We've, we've ex- we have had experiences with thousands of children across the country and now we are parents ourselves. And and we think about kids' media a lot. We read everything we can. But this is the first time an occurrence in the news has met up with a podcast theme of ours that I have felt just, like, unable to, to handle alone. And without context. We didn't without want, context. We didn't want bad guys to show up in your feed this February without explaining why we're doing it. Yeah, so um, so that's why we're making this episode, and that's why we're talking to the guests we're talking to. And um, we'll be back once we get Jane on the line. Oh, tell us who you are, Jane. We want to know everything Uh-oh. about you. Good, good. How long do you have? <laughs> My name is Jane Lindholm, and I am the host and co-producer of But Why, a podcast for curious kids out of Vermont Public Radio. And I also host a daily news show for VPR in Vermont uh, that's a news and public affairs and current events and arts and culture show called Vermont Edition. And in addition to that, I am the mom of a four-year-old son and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And so I think about kids and kids programming and the news all the time. (laughs) And you're part of uh, Kids Listen, our little podcast grassroots organization. Yeah, our wonderful grassroots podcast organization. (laughs) Well, thank you for taking a little time out of your busy news producing day to talk to us about kids and bad guys and media and what what we what do we do? How do do we do this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (sighs) The episode that we have planned is about kids pretending bad guys. 
Which we know is part of how kids grow up. That, right, that's yes. usually a type of play that happens. Right. Um, right. Our sons are similar ages. We have a almost four-year-old. So this may have come up in your personal life as well. <laughs> yeah, it certainly has. We've got a lot of imaginative play happening in our house and on the playground lately. And it takes so many different forms. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting to see when it... Um, when it's fun for him and when it sort of turns into something that feels a little bit more threatening and scary to him and when we start to have to have conversations about bad guys. It's been very interesting to watch that. Yeah. Um, we're just getting into it. I think, like, it first cropped up maybe around two and a half. There was, like, a kid at a camp that was, like, something about bad guys. And, you know, we're very sheltering with our media, what, what's allowed. Yeah, he hasn't seen very many movies. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, where is this coming from? What's mm-hmm. happening? And mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the first reactions that parents have, especially if you're very, if you're, you know, very restrictive or curating your kids' exposure to media, you're like, where did they get this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially around guns at our house. Uh, we are a hunting household, but guns are not something we expose our children to at all. And so when our, my son started playing with sticks and calling them guns, it was really disturbing for us at first because uh, my husband and I thought, this is, we weren't, you know, we were trying to protect him from this. This is not, where is this coming from and how is this happening? And you do sort of have to let some of that go a little bit because it, it does happen organically. Kids figure things out. There are kids that he's friends with who have older siblings who bring things to the table. And so then it actually gave us an opportunity to talk about our values, to talk about, you know, why he's not allowed to have a gun, why we don't have really even squirt guns and, you know, what guns are. And so now he'll say to us, yeah, yeah, I know guns are tools or guns are not toys. You know, so you in some ways have an opportunity to bring some education into it perhaps a little bit sooner than you anticipated. But, you know, I, I found that those conversations have been fairly fruitful, even with a very young kid. That's that's a great way of, of saying something that we've experienced, too, which is uh, like when that stuff comes up, whether it's, an, you know, a friend with an older sibling or somebody who has a less restrictive media diet, um, there's really nothing you can do about this stuff coming into your kids, uh, like, bandwidth or, you know, what, what yeah. they're yep. what they're thinking about. I mean, and it's like any exciting, interesting new thing, right? That's it's it's an object it's an object that has some kind of power and is dynamic in some way, and a lot of kids are are drawn to that idea, right? Yeah. And how and can I use this in my play? How can I pretend that I have it? Or how do I, you know, any of those? Yeah. Things. The first thought I definitely had was like, where did he get this? Who did you know? What <laughs> who, what what kid? But right. And how can I you clamp can... down on this right now? So yeah. it's happening. <laughs> Right. But then the the thing that I naturally came to very quickly is what you said, which is that, like, no, this is a chance for us to talk about it. And, and my kid is showing me that they're ready to consider this. And it's, t- it's time for us to do it. Not like mm-hmm. I could have prevented this conversation. And I don't think I ever had that conversation growing up, but I grew up in, in a liberal urban area in San Francisco. And we did not, I didn't know anyone who had guns and, you know, and I, I played guns all the time with my right. brother and I did not grow up into an adult who is interested in using or having or needing guns are attracted to them. So I, I know from personal experience that you can be a kid who plays, you know, plays with those things, but yet I'm still scared as a, as a parent that, you know, oh, am I, am I guiding his understanding of, of violence or what he is playing at and the difference between what's real and what's pretend? Yeah. And, you know, I think also for, for young kids, there's a lot of sword play and 
I'm not panicked that he's going to grow up and start having <laughs> swords, you know. So, yeah. so I think there is some perspective that we need to have, but while also still being realistic, guns are dangerous and guns are, you know, awash in our culture. And so, how do we have conversations that are instilling those values and and set some parameters around play? This is what's appropriate, and this is what's not appropriate, and this is not going to fly in our household, and that's all fine. But there's sometimes I think is this panic about things that are suddenly in our kids' vocabulary and in their view that we didn't put there that we just don't quite know how to deal with. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. Um, I know this isn't something that you've explicitly covered on your podcast, but, um, you know, what what do we do? And, and I know you're not an expert in the field either, <laughs> but what do we do when we have an adult feeling about something kids are doing that does not accompany that adult feeling? So, you know, for example, if my son, my son calls them pewers, right? Because I don't even know pew, that. Pew. And he knows right, the word gun. Yeah. Because at Christmas he asked, I said, oh, what would be a great gift for your little sister to get you for Christmas and Hanukkah time? And he was like, I know something, a gun. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. You know, aside from that, I'm not even sure that he knows what a gun does. And that now there's this idea about these pewers, which he knows how to, you know, do with yeah. his fingers. He, he knows, knows lasers. To, yeah. Yeah. He knows how to do yeah. with um, he knows how to make them out of blocks. His, like anything. his Legos, the new Legos that he's super into have. Yeah. We made laser a things. Yeah. We made mm-hmm. a camera mm-hmm. out of a Lego kit and yeah. he thinks it's a gun. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. like. You know, Susan Sontag could just like have gone wild with that. It was like amazing. <laughs> but, you know, when I see him doing that, I have to stop for a minute because I see a gun and I say, a gun is a real thing. A gun can be a dangerous thing. Very bad things can happen because of guns. And, and in As the. As they have recently. Right. And yet in the play world, it's like a whole different place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, as you said, I'm no expert on this. And certainly as a parent, I, I think I always feel like, I don't know if I'm doing this right at all. <laughs> but I think about the ways that I've talked to the experts about how to deal with children who are bringing things up. And part of it is for me to try to be very open with my children. And as I said, my daughter's a year and a half. You know, She's still figuring out words. So we're not mm-hmm. at that level with her, but right. with my son to make sure that he doesn't feel like any of it is closed off. So I want to make sure that he can come to me with questions. And he does. And he does have questions more and more because some of the things that he learns about confuse him or we're a big public radio family. I work in public radio and the radio's on in the morning. And lately, the news has been very disturbing and he's old enough to hear some of that and take some of that in. And so I try to make sure that he knows that I'm always open to a conversation rather than just shutting down things that are going on in his play because they make me uncomfortable. And so I think he's probably, as he grows up, going to be as annoyed with me as I was with my parents that everything had to be a discussion, you know, that we always (laughs) talked about everything. And I can remember saying to my father at one point, why don't you just ground me? Just tell me no, you know. It was more annoying to have to talk about it than it would have been to just be punished for something. Right, yeah. Well, you just um, you just touched on something that um, you, uh, But Why has an episode um, about um, how to talk to children about violence in the news. Um, and I just want to bring up something that you covered in that episode. Um, you interviewed Robin Gerwich, is mm-hmm. that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
And you talked about kind of the shift in awareness of children and kind of when that happens, which is something that the parents of our listeners might be curious about. Um, you all talked about was that kind of kids like under the age of three, you can kind of shelter them in a way um, from most media. But as they get to be over three, um, and I've noticed it uh, already with our son who's almost four, they start to kind of be aware of what's going on, whether it's at the grocery store checkout line or... Discussions grownups are having around them. Actually, we had a funny thing happen yeah. at dinner the other night. We were out at a restaurant and there's a TV and there's TVs in restaurants often that I just completely <laughs> ignore. But um, I saw my son was just watching and watching and watching. And I finally said to him, there's lots of TV that's made for kids and you get to watch some of those shows. But if you ever see something that's made for grownups that you don't understand you should know you can always ask me about what you've seen. And so like, mm -hmm. then it was just like nonstop questioning. He's like, what's that? What's that? What's that? I was like, found myself explaining golf, which like, why? Except anyway, golf. We can't talk yeah. about golf in this family. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. But, um, but anyway, and then um, uh, Dr. Gerwich brings up that, you know, once they can read, which like five, six, seven, you're... Cats out the bag. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing you can do. I mean, they can read any headline or subtitle on a silent television anywhere that they've driven by or something that's over your shoulder on your phone or just anything. But it would be cool to, to talk to you, Jane, about how doing research for that But Why episode kind of informed your thinking about parenting and about um, your own kids' exposure to, to violence and, and violence in the media. Well, unfortunately, it really has been hit home recently since the shooting in Parkland, Florida, because, yeah. as I said, we were listening to my station that I work for, our local public radio station, in the morning before school, and my son was sitting there listening. And it's one of the realities of modern-day schooling. At his preschool, they recently had a lockdown drill. And wow. the school told us about it, and then he told me about it, and he told me what they did. And all the, teach the teachers had us go into the bathroom, and we had to stay in the bathroom, and we had to stay quiet. And then Miss Andrea, who runs the school, came around and um, checked on all of us, and we weren't being quiet enough. And so we, we had some conversations about that, and that's another moment like where— like a big, giant yikes, by the it, way, for Oh, me. my goodness. No kidding. I mean, as a parent, what I wanted to do was cry because— it's so hard that that's the reality for our children. But then you also, I also felt very glad that the school is taking these precautions because this is the world we live in. And then we could have a conversation about what a lockdown drill was, but without some of the really hard realities. You know, I think he knows about bad guys. So he said, oh, so it's if a bad guy comes. And we sort of left it at that. And then listening to the radio after Parkland, they mentioned lockdown drills. And so his ears perked up because he knows that word. And yeah. he connected it to what he was hearing. And it was a, a very hard and sad conversation for me to have with him because he said, Mom, did that bad guy shoot someone? And I had to say, yes, he did. And, and he said, did he shoot two people? And it was this very four-year-old conversation where the numbers, you know, he's counting and, and oh, working God, on the numbers. Count and, now. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, we're here. We're at this moment where yeah. I can't protect him from everything. But I also remembered what um, Dr. Gerwich had told us in that episode was that for younger kids, you can still limit their media consumption. So we turned the radio off and yeah. we haven't turned it on in the morning. Not because I think I can shield him from everything, but he doesn't need to hear some of the things that are happening. And, and you know, we talked about, he, I said, yes, that, that uh, young man killed 17 people. 
And, you know, I, I tried not to belabor the details, but also not to lie to him and not to tell him, oh, we don't, we don't have to talk about that because he heard it. It's a reality. And so yeah. I wanted to make sure that I modeled this is something that is disturbing, but we can talk about it, but we're not going to talk about it too much. And if you have questions, we can talk about it again. And he brings it up every now and then. And it's, you know, it's very hard for me, but also um, I think important to be honest with him to a point. Honest, but not all the details. Yeah, there was something else Dr. Gerwich said, which is that like sometimes the hardest thing for parents is starting that conversation because um, you don't know what to say and you don't, you know, so when it comes up, there's this fear that happens. And I've experienced this too and in talking to our son, but then almost immediately um, you start to feel better even just as the conversation's happening because a great amount of their fear lies within the unknown mm-hmm. you know like the any anywhere there is space they could fill it up with fear and and where there's not space for that fear it it won't exist so in providing information to your son you're not letting there be a monster under the bed because the, under the bed is not available for that yeah i think that's true although it's been harder than i thought it might be because He'll ask me, for example, he told he said, I don't want to go to school because I don't want to have, I, I can't remember exactly the phrasing, but his basic, what he was basically saying was, I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm afraid there will be oh a bad God. guy. I don't want to go to school. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I couldn't say, don't worry, that will never happen to you. And yeah. I, you know, I did say reassuring things, but I couldn't. And we've talked in the podcast as well in in an episode for children a lot about death. And one of the things that the experts that we've talked to about death say is, you know, don't lie. Don't say somebody's gone to sleep. Don't say they'll come back. You know, don't say they've gone away. Because as you said, it allows room for for fear um, or kids think if they get sick, then they're going to die. But that means that it's really hard not to be able to say to him, don't worry, you're not going to die. Or don't, you know, he'll say, when am I going to die? And I can't say, you're never going to die because that's not true. And that for me has been really difficult to navigate. Yeah, there's, I mean, there was a part of the episode, um, the But Why episode about talking to kids about violence in the news that i was listening to and I just like stopped and I paused it because I didn't know what to do with myself. But Dr. Gowich says you can say to your child, um, doing I'm doing the best can. I can. Yep. I'm mm-hmm. doing everything I can to keep you safe and to keep our family safe. And mm-hmm. like as an adult, when you're like, it's not enough, you know, yeah. there's I can't I there's a huge amount of the world that I can't keep you safe from. It was so arresting for me, and I, I really didn't know what to do with myself. I wanted to call Dr. Gerwich and be like, wait a second, but what about now, you know? Yeah. Well, and that, that brings us to making media for kids that touches on these topics. But the commonality between But Why and Ear Snacks is, you know, they are about kids' interest in the real world. And, and we're um, kind of approaching things from, like, the sides, but you guys are really addressing them head, head on, on, you yeah. know, to, to do an episode that – um, is about death for kids is it's I don't know it's big <laughs> yeah and and um, not without some fear on our parts you know you don't want to introduce kids to things that are going to scare them or especially I think we worried more about how parents would react because the questions we got from children about death were 
profound, but also just honest and curious. You know, why do we have to die? What happens when you die? What does it feel like to die? You know, the kids actually want to hear answers to that. And what they don't want to hear is an adult saying, we don't talk about that or don't worry about it because they're already thinking about it. So they want the adults in their lives to tell them, you know, to give them some answers and to certainly be reassuring, but not to paint over the truth. You know, they want to hear the truth. And so that was interesting for us to try to make sure that we were balancing that desire to know the truth with uh, an acknowledgement that young kids, especially, you know, a four-year-old listening to this is going to be very different than a nine-year-old listening to this. And in some ways, maybe the nine-year-old would have more fear. And so trying to, to navigate that was tricky, but also felt like to us, our responsibility in being podcasters who are trying to speak honestly and openly to kids. It's an admirable, um, very brave thing to do, and there's no playbook for it. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> well, except that there are there are really smart people who do this for a living, and That's right. I feel lucky that I don't have to be the expert. I have to call somebody else up, and so the Center for Grieving Children can say, well, this is what we've learned. This is what works for children, and, and so then they talk directly to the kids about you know what what they what we know about death and then how to be good friends to other children who might be grieving and what grief can look like and how different it can be and i thought that was a really powerful part of the episode for me was that grief can look very different for all kinds of people and the idea that kids can still be good friends to people who are experiencing loss was a really powerful part of that episode in giving kids some action that they can take to feel empowered Oh, yeah. And another action that um, I think is worth talking about here um, that you guys mentioned in the episode um, would be like ways kids can help anything Um, Mm -hmm. just because the very act of helping makes us as humans um, and especially kids feel better, you know, even if it's not changing the scenario or the situation. Um, So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about about some ideas for um, helping when in my other work as a news host, I've talked to researchers who have worked in trauma zones and in um, after earthquakes and natural disasters and other kinds of traumatic events. And they have said that kids, teenagers and kids really do feel empowered if they can do something to help, whether it's to help their own situation or to help others. And so some of it might be actually letting kids help in the cleanup process if something has happened to your home or if your children are disturbed by events in the news, maybe they could send a card to the students at another school where a terrible thing has happened. And so that it lets them feel the empathy, but also feel like they're taking some action and taking some action with their peers to be helpful. So if it's volunteering, if it's in your own community to be able to do that, or Dr. Gerwich recommended, it could be as simple as sending a note to the first responders who just responded to something far away or to the first responders in your community, maybe go to the fire station with a box of clementines to say thank you for being here for our community so that it gives kids a chance to feel empowered and and you know maybe to ask the kids themselves your children what they would like to do so that they can feel like they're taking this action with you yeah help the helpers yeah exactly yeah I, I always like what Mr. Rogers said is, you know, in the in emergencies, like, look for the people who are helping. There's always right. there are always people trying to make it better. And I think kids usually start off, you know, their costume and role playing play thinking about those kind of, 
powerful and and bright costumes like like you know um like being uh, a firefighter or a police officer and then maybe their play gets more nuanced and they start being interested in being being the bad guys but what we've found through interviews that parents have conducted with their kids for this upcoming episode of your snacks is that you know some kids think it's fun to play bad guys but then usually they are also interested in being the superheroes or in figuring <laughs> out how to stop bad guys and we even had one kid um whose whose mom is a psychologist um talk about how you know what what would be the most amazing superpower to stop bad guys what if you could what if what if you could touch their hearts and make them feel uh, the feelings of other people's when then they wouldn't be bad guys anymore? And that's what a lot of kids have also concluded that if, if bad guys thought about other people's feelings, maybe maybe they wouldn't be bad guys anymore. I'm so interested to hear it because it just sounds fascinating. But that's also we, we do a lot of conversations in our household, too, about why are bad guys bad? And are they we've had questions lately about are bad guys always bad? Or yeah. are they sometimes good? Are they partly good? Can good people be bad? And these very nuanced ideas about what makes somebody a bad guy and what do they do and how do you not be a bad guy? And then uh, listening to him talk about his play and, and which friends maybe scare him when they're bad guys. And so I think there is some of that coming in even at age four of trying to figure out the world through this creative play with his friends. Yeah, that's like the really the crux of of the whole thing is um, playing this stuff out in their classroom or at home, on the playground, places where they feel safe, where they feel comfortable, figuring out these things on such a large level, you know, bad guys who can do big bad things and superheroes who can do superhuman things allows them to kind of sort out the world and figure out how they can be towards each other in a like kind of a big way that's big enough to understand. Hmm. Um, and we want to talk more about that. So um, we're planning the next part of the episode to kind of delve into how this kind of play crops up in the classroom and what's normal and, you know, what how to set limits for safe play. Like you said, some some kids, when they are bad guys in play, scare your son. Mm-hmm. Um so we're going to go into that part of the conversation, but we're going to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being willing to talk about this. Oh, thank you for having me. And it's really wonderful to be able to talk to a community of other creators and parents who are all grappling with these things, because I think the more we can all talk about it together, the easier it is to navigate some of the really tricky parts of being parents and being people who care about the young people in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. And maybe we'll even make progress so our society is not this way forever. Let's hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing that I wanted to bring up is uh, what we were talking about with Jane, how three-year-olds have a totally different sense of what's going on in the world than seven-year-olds. And actually, anecdotally, it was actually really interesting that um, we saw some of that play out in the interviews that we did with the kids for the Bad Guys episode. What's your name? Gray. Gray. How old are you? Eight. What do you know about bad guys? So many things. Like what? Tell me one. But what kind of bad guys? Robbers? I don't know. How? What kind of bad guys can we think of? Bullies, 
robbers, like people that do a lot of racism. That's true. Yeah. Who don't respect black people and respect more white people. So one kind of bad guy is somebody who doesn't respect other people's differences. That's a real kind of bad guy. Like major bad. Major bad. Maybe the worst. I don't know. One of them worst. Is there another name for bad guys? I don't know. Rude guys? Rude guys. (laughs) Mean guys? Horrible guys? guys, Miserable guys? (laughs) Most unrespected guys? (laughs) I don't know. So young children under four, when their parents asked, what's a bad guy? Or um, can you think of any bad guys? the kids would answer kind of abstractly, like someone who takes something from someone else, someone who doesn't follow the rules. If the kids know any superhero mythology, then they would say one of the bad guys they could think of. A few of the kids were hip to that. But we had a couple interviews with seven-year-olds, and those played out very differently. And I don't know if that stuff is going to make it into the episode um, in a particular way, because when we asked what's a bad guy, Those kids gave us real-life examples of bad guys, and it's not that I wasn't surprised that they know about what's going on in the world, but they talked about um, white supremacy, they talked about racism, and it it definitely didn't have the same innocence that the young kids' um, answers had. So when kids start to be aware of real-life bad guys, perhaps the rules and limits for their play... uh, also change. So what's okay in a three-year-old is different than what's okay in a seven-year-old. And I'm sure that sounds obvious now that I'm saying it out loud, but, um, but it wasn't so obvious to me in this kind of really subtle way. All right, we're back. That was so nice of Jane. Oh, (laughs) yes. We have a new guest on the show now. A new guest. Uh, we had really hoped to interview Teacher Tom. I don't know if any of you are familiar with his work. Um, <laughs> but Teacher Tom wasn't available, so instead, we're going to yeah. try to have this conversation ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but our babysitter had to leave, so um, our nine-month-old's going to hang out with us and yeah. be distracting. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> In absence of Teacher Tom... We are going to talk about this book that you mentioned. Yes. So I think I got this actually from um, uh, Teacher Tom has a couple of articles on gunplay in the classroom. Mm -hmm. He used to teach a younger group and he moved up to teach an older set of kids. Mm -hmm. And when he did, he was surprised at the new and different kinds of uh, limits they had to set in their classroom um, because some kids wanted to play bad guys Mm -hmm. and... um, some kids wanted to be able to pew at each other. Pew pew. Um, and they, uh, one of the things they do in their classroom is they set the rules for their classroom. Hmm. So um, when something new comes up, then they need to talk about it in their meeting and amend their rules and uh, work with each other to make sure everybody's feeling safe. This is something I've noticed that really good classrooms usually do like mm. the kids are involved in the process of act of rule making and how yeah. we make a fair you know system for ourselves right. and 
I know that some families do that too, and we do not do that very often. Well, we're not actually. there yet. Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> so, um, so I think like one of the things we talked about with Jane Lindholm was that um, children who are under three don't necessarily notice what's going on in the broader world, but children that are three plus, or as you can see, there's like a huge developmental shift that happens once a child is four. So they start to be able to understand like things a little bit more complicated. And part of that is because their understanding of time changes. Once they can understand that there's a past and there's a future. Uh, so, so at some point kids can think about what the rules might be because they can think about how they might feel about something later as opposed to how they feel about it right now. So, First of all, the book we're talking about is called Magic Capes, Amazing Powers, Transforming Superhero Play in the Classroom by yes. Eric Hoffman. Yes. And um, I had to order a used copy, and it's wonderful. Um, I have not read the whole thing. I would like to read the whole thing. I hope I can read the whole thing. Um, and it is written really for teachers, but I think it's really wonderful for, for parents and, and supporting Say you're a parent that doesn't too. have any time to read anything but has time to listen to this. What could you take away from this book? All right, so so say you are that parent. Yes. Okay, so uh, a couple things that are interesting. Okay, I'm going to read a passage from the book. Do. Along with a desire to explore their feelings, preschoolers are ready to tackle some major intellectual and spiritual questions. As Janine, age four, puts it, Sometimes I have little questions, and sometimes I have a big fat question. <laughs> Their newly developed mental abilities allow them to think about these important issues. What is right and wrong, good and bad? What is fair and what is unfair? What is life and what is death? What is a boy and what is a girl? What is real and what is fantasy? More than any other play, superhero play touches on all these big questions. Play is not only the way children express feelings, it is also the method that children use to test their theories about how the world works. So like we were saying when we were talking to Jane, if you see kids pewing each other, it feels so uncomfortable as an adult. And in fact, one of the rules that teacher Tom sets up in his classroom um, is no pewing at each other. And... Later, they have to amend that rule, which is no pewing at people who don't want to be part of the game. So, but anyway, but as an adult, watching kids play in this way can, can be so uncomfortable because, because we hear in the news and some people see the real effects that guns have. Kids are trying to figure that out too. Whether they're trying to process the news or they're trying to process... Um, what are you still my friend if yeah. I if I call you a name? Well, I was going to say that's, you know, like they use the biggest possible, you know, word or symbol that they can they have at their disposal and I'm not dissuaded by my son using strong symbols as he's trying to find more nuanced ways to say things. Right. Right. Well, because the point is uh 6 months ago maybe he would have done something like scream and kind of flail his arms yep. when he's tired and now he can say no joke he can say i'm super tired can we go to bed now <laughs> right yeah. i mean in the same way <gasps> that you can tired. say maybe that's my superpower yeah super tired <laughs> in the same way you can say about a friend like i don't like the way you're playing but will you still be my friend yeah um you could get someone in the game of bad guys 
and then change teams as it were. And yeah. and that's the other thing about this play that seems interesting is like it's very fluid with them. Yeah. They can be bad guys and good guys. They can switch you back and forth. You be the bad forth. guy now. I'll be yeah. Yeah, they can um and this is also the kind of play that can't happen until they're ready to be willing to try something like that. Yeah. Because and it, it kind of precedes like rules like a game like tag or something like that where somebody's it and then somebody else is it. Well, this is part of figuring out how to make up a game together yeah. that is fair that people want to play. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that they say in the book is like, this is not to condone physical violence in play or physical violence in a classroom. I mean, you have to do you have to take a lot of steps to ensure that people are able to play this game um, safely and willingly. Didn't you say Teacher Tom <clears throat> had a way of playing bad guys where he just says like, ha, ah, I'm a bad yeah, guy. Yeah, Teacher Tom does have a, a way of doing that. So I guess he never wanted to be the bad guy. Let me let me let me pull that up on his blog. Yeah. So we can. So any of you who are interested, I really encourage you to check out Teacher Tom's writing. Uh, his name is Tom Hobson, and he has a book that's called. Teacher Tom's first book, Teaching and Learning from Preschooler. And he is a teacher at the Woodland Park Cooperative Preschool. So um, so Teacher Tom has a post on his blog uh, that's called No Bad Guys, which I thought was pretty neat. So um, the, these kids started playing bad guy um, during pretend. And uh, he says this is usually like kids making, I'm going to quote, fierce faces. Uh, posing threateningly, attempting to capture one another, although it sometimes takes the form of attempting to dam up a river that others are creating in the sand pit. Mm. Um, so they readdressed the rules in their classroom, and um, some of the kids tried to make a rule that said no bad guys. So when that happened, Tom asked, uh, I turned to the bad guys asking, why do you like playing bad guys? Each of them took a turn making their case, citing fun, as their main support, though several made the point that it was just pretend. And so then Teacher Tom said, well, we can't make that other rule about no bad guys because everyone doesn't agree. But some people are afraid and some people think it's fun. So what can we do? But they, they really didn't like get anywhere. So he finally says, it looks like we're not going to be able to make a new rule. Some people still want to play bad guys and some people still want them to stop. And so one of the kids in the class said, and some people don't care. <laughs> he said, but I will remind everyone that we have an important rule that we sometimes forget, which is that we don't do anything to anybody before we ask them. So then he turns to the bad guys and he says, that means you have to ask people before being bad guys to them. And then he reminds the kids that wanted the bad guys game to stop. Um, and I want you to remember, it's just pretend and you can always tell the bad guys to stop. And so then they all agreed that was the plan. He has another post where he talks about um, becoming a bad guy himself, where he just like, he gets on this ship and he just is like, I'm a bad guy. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. And that's the extent of pretending bad guys for him. So, okay. So we, we need to wrap it up. In conclusion. Well, how and why do kids play pretend violence when it's not actual violence? The thing that we're uncomfortable with is actual violence. Yeah. Right. But what they're doing is pretend violence. The point of this play is for them to basically develop empathy. Yeah. Like what you're so worried about is that they're doing bad stuff. Yeah. But what they're actually doing is figuring out. Yeah. How does bad stuff affect other people? Yeah. When I do something, 
what happens when someone else yeah. does something to me. How does that make me feel? Right. Then what do we do? Yeah. How do we deal with each other? Yeah. So like working through that. What are is, the what are the limits of fun? Yeah. Working through that is the entire point of early childhood. Okay, there was one other thing that I wanted to th- to bring up, yes. which is um, there's a chapter called Understanding Adult Views on Superhero Play. Um, yes, uh, there's a section that says, when a child picks up a stick and shouts, bang, bang, those anxieties can turn to panic. All our nightmares seem to be coming true before our eyes. We want to know where our innocent babies learn to act like that, and that first place many people focus blame on is TV. But if we look at the specific issues adults are concerned about, we have to look at how television, movies, and other media fit into the picture. Superheroes in the media and bad guys in the media, there's a violence that is sanitized. If somebody gets punched and stands back up, that is the opposite of what they are working through in school or on the playground, right? Like, if you punch me and I cry and then we have to go together to go get an ice pack, then we are learning from each other right what it means that you hurt me right versus versus seeing a super character but it's just get right up i wish i could get right up exactly um and sometimes kids can do some physical things that like you wouldn't expect them to do they (laughs) seem like cartoon characters yeah um but anyway there's a uh, eric hoffman talks about how your body feels when you watch media like this yeah because it's fast action it's fast editing there's special effects there's photo like trick photography he says um and he says watch this stuff and notice how your body feels because some say during chase and battle scenes they feel bombarded by sounds and images that send their heart rate soaring others say they get numb or hypnotized and find it hard to look away from the screen Certain images like guns or people in danger tighten their stomachs, necks, and chest. Some enjoy these feelings, and some find them distressing or disorienting. Yeah. This is not an accident, he writes. Fast action video sequences, as well as many commercials, are edited to take advantage of a human biological quirk. Feelings are faster than thoughts. Powerful emotions such as anger, fear, and desire spread quickly through our bodies and limit our ability to think clearly. Our senses go on high alert and our bodies get ready to run or fight. This idea, feelings are faster than thoughts, is exactly what children are working through, right? Whether they're setting rules with each other um, or in your home, um, they're trying to understand, or they're playing with each other, or they're struggling with you because they aren't ready to take their bath. They're learning to use words to explain how they feel which takes longer than your body does to feel the feeling. So when they do something that's troubling or bad, it's because they feel the feeling and they don't stop their bodies from acting out the feeling. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's the underpinning of a lot of actual like psychology of music and music to film, which is what we do for a living. When you play, you know, play an emotion that precedes their, the audience's actual understanding. You know, if you hear a loud sound, you don't actually process it as a sound before you process it as a danger signal and your body reacts to it and you turn your head towards it and you shift your, your body away from it. Um, but I think that's, you know, this is this is a really long roundabout way of saying that maybe uh, it's taken us a long time to think about how we can 
process our feelings on this issue and turn it into media for your children. Um, it's, it's a, it's a big task and we don't take it lightly. And, um, and thank you for, for listening to us try and, uh, work our way through these uh these powerful feelings that we have about uh you know what happened in florida and what continues to happen in our country and our children's growing awareness of it and and your children's growing awareness of it and and how we are um we feel a responsibility to uh to not take that lightly yes and if any of you have any thoughts on this um any stories to share we'd we'd love to hear them also you can um Get in touch with us on the website. You can find us on social media. Um, There's lots of places that we can have a conversation together um, so we can better understand where kids are and how to support them today. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to Jane Lindholm from But Why, a podcast for curious kids from Vermont Public Radio. It's a great podcast, especially for those of you with an older child. We'll make sure you all have a link to the episode about talking to kids about violence in the media. If you want to find some more information about But Why, you can visit butwhykids.org. Thank you.